when uh, Michael was just little, he made a statement to me. We were in his room, and we were praying. So when we were in his room, we began to pray, and I was talking to him, and he said, you know, Dad, and he's just like six years old at this time. He said, I was reading something in the Bible about promises. And he said, you know what I remember, Dad? He said, I remember this. That promises are not something you get, it's something you keep. And that's really stuck in my mind for many, many years. And I began to think about how important promises are. And how many of us in here make promises? And how many of us keep our promises? You know, a lot of people make promises. Businesses make promises, don't they? (laughs) And they don't keep them. Politicians definitely make promises and don't keep them, amen? We see political leaders, religious leaders, but you know what's more heart-wrenching than anything else? Is when a dad makes a promise and doesn't keep it. And I've had times where my dad had made promises to me and he was unable to keep the promise. And as a As a grown person, I understand that now, but at the time when I was little, I couldn't understand why dad would make a promise and not be able to keep it. But I want you to know we have a heavenly father. (laughs) And the heavenly father that we serve makes promises. And the promises that our heavenly father makes, I promise you this, he will keep them and has kept them. As we read these verses here in Hebrews, and you're going through and you're looking at these promises that God has made, and he talks about better promises and a better covenant, and he begins to talk about who Jesus Christ is and the fact that Jesus Christ now has come and has ascended back into heaven. And where is God's word now? It's in our minds and written on our hearts. It's not just a ritual type thing where they go to a tabernacle and they make sacrifices and all those types of things. Now the sacrifice has been made and now it's been put in our mind and written on our hearts. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, this is difficult to understand. Because the Bible says the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. But if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you very clearly understand the words that are coming out of my mouth into your ears. You're saved and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ's salvation is written in our minds and in our hearts now. We know him. We know him personally. And by the way, when you get saved, God gives you himself. And if you're here this morning and you are saved... The Holy Spirit is in you. And so you know by the power of the Holy Spirit what I'm saying to be true as well. And what it is is that God makes promises, but they're better promises than man can keep. And he did a covenant with the nation of Israel. And they gave the law to Moses. And Moses tried to help the people fulfill the law of God. And do you know what could not happen and what the difficulty was and the fault that there was with that covenant? It was to be kept by men. Made by God, kept by men. The difference is, is Jesus Christ is all God. And when he came and he made his sacrifice, perfect. It's without flaw. And so there is no fault in the better promises and in the new covenant. As we think about this this morning, I want you to consider what these people wanted to do. They wanted to go back to their old ways. How many Christians are in this room this morning, you get saved and you go back to your old ways? 
Maybe you go back to alcohol. Maybe you go back to drinking. Maybe you go back and you're saved. And if you are saved, conviction should enter into your heart. It should bother you. And by the way, just because some religions in town tell you it's okay to drink, it's not okay to drink. The Bible is very clear about that. <laughs> and the Bible tells us to abstain from those things. And so if you're participating in those as a saved individual, conviction should enter into your heart. And you say, well, who are you to tell me that? I'm not. I'm telling you what God's Word says. And so whenever you look into God's Word, we want to keep His promises. Why? Because we're saved. That's why we want to keep them now. You see, a long time ago, these people had to go and they made these sacrifices for their sins, and yet Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for sin, did he not? And so when he sacrificed himself for sin, he died for your sin. Now, when we go and we begin to perform sin again, it's like putting Christ to an open shame. In fact, let's just go back a chapter here. I want you to look at chapter 6 with me. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Let me tell you what that means. There are people who believe that you can lose your salvation. The Bible never teaches us that you can lose your salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. Amen? Amen. You cannot lose it. What people teach is that that means that you could lose your salvation. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. You know what it means? You cannot repent. In other words, you can't ask for forgiveness for something and keep on doing it at the same time. It doesn't work. And whenever you go out and you commit those sins and you keep doing those sins and you keep doing them over and over again, it's like putting Christ to an open shame. What was the open shame? It's like crucifying him again. It's if you're taking the hammer and the nails and putting it in him. It's you doing that. That's what the Bible says. So what the scriptures teach us is, is that we want to abstain from that. Why? Because Christ died for us. Look at chapter 10 with me, if you will. I want you to look at another verse here in chapter 10. Verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, that passage, they try to use that too to teach you that you lose your salvation. But what that passage says is, the sacrifice for sin has already been made. There's no other sacrifice now available. What it is, is that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice, so it's already been paid. So if you sin willfully after you've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. The only thing you can do is turn to God in repentance and ask him to forgive you. Now, when you think about a promise, what comes to mind? I think about this. It's an assurance that one will do what they've committed or that particular commitment will definitely be fulfilled. And, and what it is is that when I think about the promises of Christ, I believe that he'll fulfill his commitment and has already. And when I consider this for a moment, promises are made all the time and many men break them. I want you to think about this. If you would, you can turn there if you want to. I, I want to share this verse with you out of Joshua 23, 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Joshua was going off the scene. He was passing away. And the others were going to come onto the scene and take over for his position. And here's what he said. 
And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. I want you to know that everything that God has promised will be fulfilled. Nothing will fail. The things that he's promised us as believers is this. He's left us here. He promised us that the Holy Spirit would indwell us. I know when I got saved, I know my life changed. I know my language changed. I know my attitude changed. I know my spirit changed. I know some things changed about me. And I no longer was the same person. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he tells us that we're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There should be a difference in us, shouldn't there? should be a difference in my language, my attitude, my outlook, my attitude, my actions. Everything about me ought to be different. It ought to be according to the truth of the Word of God now. And when I look at this, Joshua said, I want you to know this one thing. Not only has he promised you the indwelling spirit, but he's promised you he's going to come again. And when he promised you he's going to come again, there's a day coming, folks, and there will be a day of reconciliation, by the way. And what's going to happen is, is I think some Christians are going to be caught off guard, maybe all of us. But there's coming a day when the rapture will occur. Now the rapture is where anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and are still living on this earth, Jesus Christ is going to take us out of here. Amen? Amen. He's going to take us up into the heavens, into the clouds. And then he tells us there's going to be a judgment. And I promise there will be, and it'll be the Bema seat of Christ. That's where everything I did in this living body after my salvation, I either did it for myself or I did it for the glory of the Lord. And it'll either be wood, hay, and stubble or old stone. <laughs> and it'll be tried by fire. Now, my salvation's not in question, but the things I did during the time I was saved does come into question. And it'll either be wood, hay, and stubble Though it'll be precious gold, silver, and stone. It'll be one or the other. And so we'll go to the Bema Seat, but I want you to know this as well. He's going to come back and put his foot down on this earth one day. And when he does, judgment is going to enter in, and the tribulation's going to begin. And there'll be three and a half years of what we might consider peace, but it says the people will fall under a great delusion and believe a lie. And I just want to ask you, how many lies do you hear today that people are believing? How much fake news is going on today that people are buying into? How much foolishness and, and all that kind of stuff are people buying into? Listen, the world has to be prepared for the Antichrist to come. A lot of foolishness going on today. And as we look into the scriptures, Joshua said this, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. God will not fail. Jesus Christ is coming again. As I look to the scriptures, not only does the Lord make a promise, it's defined as better promises based on a better covenant. And what we are told is that there is a more superior promise based on a more superior covenant, and this is a solemn, dignified agreement between two parties. You know who those two parties are? It wasn't us and God. It was God and his only begotten son. That, my folks, is the dignified agreement between two. 
Jesus decided to come to earth for us. Jesus decided to die for us. And God agreed to it. I want you to understand something here this morning. In our time, it would be a legal document, usually property transferred between heirs upon death, and there's a great gap between a contract and a covenant. Today, what's happening in our world today is you have so much divorce going on, and so people say, well, let's not get divorced. Let's just shack up. My dad used to call it, by the way, <laughs> just shacking up because they don't want to get married. So they just start shacking up, or this starts happening. A lot of marriage and divorce taking place today, even among Christians. And the reason is, is we're looking at marriage as a contract and not a covenant. Let me read a couple of things to you. I wrote these down, and I began to think about this a little bit. Let me talk to you about a covenant marriage for a moment. And the difference between a covenant marriage and a contract marriage. By the way, Jesus Christ has a covenant marriage. Amen? It's going to be fulfilled. Let me share with you the difference between a contract and a covenant. Contracts based on fear and distrust and expected to be broken. I just bought a house out in Botkins. I signed paperwork till my fingers were numb. And the thing of it is, is that they, they, the reason that they're doing this is because so many people have failed to fulfill their promises that you have to have everything in writing now, don't you? And there's so much in writing till my fingers were numb. So a contract, it's based on fear. It's based on distrust. How about a covenant? Well, a covenant is based on trust and spiritual commitment. It's based on the fact that you believe that that person is going to fulfill what they said they were going to do. It's trust. I'm sure, Chris, in your day, there were times where you could give a handshake to a man and you knew he was going to fulfill his promise. Today, if it's not in writing and 20 signatures and notarized and a lawyer sign off on it, and even when that happens, sometimes it's not even happening, is it? And the thing of it is, there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. <laughs> Let me tell you about a contract. Contracts are conditional terms. They're conditional. In other words, you're going to make and we'll fulfill the contract. We have today what's called prenuptial agreements. <laughs> that means you're going to agree to this before we get married because this is a contract and not a covenant. And you're not taking what's mine and I don't want what's yours and you're not getting my stuff. <laughs> That's really what that means. And there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. So it's conditional. You know what a covenant is? It's unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, except you be this. Uh-oh. doesn't say that, does it? Because there's a big difference between a covenant and a contract. Something else. Legal and binding by man's laws and standards. Legally binding. So we agree to this in a legal matter. What is it with God? Uh, when I look at this, legal and binding by spiritual laws of God's scripture. It should hold us to truth, shouldn't it? <laughs> Let me give you this. The contract is formed for only a limited period of time. Doesn't the Bible say, till death us do part? Isn't that what the Bible says? But until I get tired of you today, <laughs> till I don't like you no more. And by the way, fellas, ladies, I always share this with the guys. If you're looking beyond your marriage, shame on you. Because I'm going to tell you, when you get over the other side, the lawn still needs mowed. Amen? So if you think you got it wrong, 
I want to tell you, the one that you have is the one God decided for you to have, or you wouldn't be in that relationship. Now, here's the thing. Usually, a limited period of time, formed to be permanent and last eternal. That's the difference. A contract and a covenant. Let me share this with you. Exist to protect oneself from the other party. <laughs> so when you get into a contractual marriage, you're just trying to protect yourself from the other person. And you're saying, but I love them. I call it the googly-eyed syndrome. I've had young couples come into my office and they tell me they're going to get married. And you know, whenever I do counseling with people about marriage, I don't talk to you just about the wedding ceremony. I ask you, what is the reason that you get married? What is the reason that you're getting married? And do you two really believe that you ought to get married? You see, what happens is, is people come in with the googly-eyed syndrome and say, he's just so handsome. Did you see his abs? No. But look at her. I mean, did you, did you see her? She's so pretty. Rock-hard abs go away. And pretty begins to droop. They both go. So I want to share this with you. It better go beyond ass and pretty. Amen? There better be something there. And the thing of it is, is that if you're looking at getting into a covenant marriage, God's in the middle of that. If you're looking to get into a contractual agreement with someone, people get into them every day to get out of them because they're interested in what they can do for themselves. Based on worldly principles, based on scriptural principles. Selfishness, based on biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. An agreement before men, and a vow made before God. Now I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ made some better promises, didn't he? And it's based on a better covenant. The word of God is written on our hearts now. It's in our minds, isn't it? If you are saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. In, he's inside of you. And you are the only one that knows whether you are saved or not. I can't know that for you. My wife tells me that she's saved, and I say, well, based on uh, the things that I see outwardly, I believe my wife's saved. My son Michael tells me that he's saved, and based on outward actions, and I see those things, I say, well, he must be saved. He, he loves the Lord. He witnesses. He tells people about Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know. But do you know who knows whether you're saved or not? You do. And if you're not saved, Jesus Christ paid the sacrifice for you. Now, when I look at this, it teaches us that there's a pattern. And here's the thing. Are you really depending on that promise? Are you depending on the promise of Jesus Christ? There's a pattern here that he talks about. He says in verse 5, in the latter part of it, see it saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So what is this pattern? And the Lord loves his people so much that he provided a pattern for him. He said, listen, my son's coming. He told the prophets. He told the leaders. They, they knew what was happening. They knew that he was coming. And even on the day of his birth, they were doubting it. And doubt it to this day. And what it is, is that that pattern was the tabernacle, and it was the temple, and it was used to demonstrate what Christ was going to do. This pattern is a type or a model. The word is tupos. It's a Greek word, and it means typewriter in our language. And, of course, any of you in here that don't know what a typewriter is, if you took your cell phone out and you pulled up your chat, Snapchat or something like that, it'll pull a little thing up there, and it has the letters on it. 
that used to be called a typewriter. And so whenever you would hit X, X would show up on a sheet of paper. <laughs> Today, whenever you push the button and you push X and X shows up, that's the same idea. Everybody with me now? Two paws, typewriter. What it does, it gives you an exact image of what you're pushing, right? So it says that the tabernacle and the temple were a pattern. It was a type is what it says. And so what it was is that Jesus Christ is the type, it's the pattern, it's resembling that. And in this case, it was our example or our shadow of heavenly things, the heavenly vessel to arrive. It's simply a pattern found in Exodus 25, 40. It says, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed to thee in the mount. He's talking to Moses. And he said, Moses, the reason you're doing all these things, the reason you're teaching these people all these things is because it's a picture of what my son is going to do on the cross at Calvary for us one day. And he gives them that pattern. <laughs> and he says, here it is. Now, through Christ's fulfillment of the law, man has the opportunity to have the word written internally. <laughs> what they had to do is they continually had to go and make sacrifices, constantly do this. What is Paul talking to the Hebrews about? He's saying, hey, listen, you don't have to keep going back to that old sacrificial system. The sacrifice has already been made. Why do you want to go back? And listen, even as Christians, we do that. We get saved, and we want to go right back into the world. And Peter says, listen, don't do that. You're going to pollute your mind. You're going to pollute your hearts. You're going to pollute yourselves. You're going to go back into a polluted world and live that way now. And Jesus Christ said, listen, I'm the pattern that you see in the tabernacle and the temple, but I've come now, and you no longer have to make these sacrifices. I've made it for you. And he gave us the pattern. As I think about this, not only did he give us the pattern, I love this about our Savior, God fulfilled his promise by sending Christ to end the conflict. <laughs> Look at verse 6 with me in Hebrews 8. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. You know, there is a problem that exists between God and man. There's a problem. Well, what is that problem? Well, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for they're all of sin now. So what happened is, is the day that Adam took a bite of that fruit, he spiritually separated mankind from God. There's a problem, isn't there? And the problem has to be fixed. Who's going to fix that problem? <laughs> Who's going to get man back in a right relationship with God? How's that, how's that going to be reconciled now? How's that going to be fixed? Thank God for the mediator, amen? <laughs> amen. The mediator is Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that he came to intervene between us and God because we couldn't fix it ourselves. We had to have someone fix it for us. And a mediator is a person who attempts to make people involved into a conflict come to an agreement. Now let me tell you what that agreement is. I agree with God that Jesus Christ died for me. That's the agreement. Amen. And what it is is he came as the mediator to fix the problem between us and God. The problem between us and God is that we were now dead in our trespasses and sin. Amen? Amen? But Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law, which man could not fulfill. Man had to turn to Jesus Christ. These Hebrews wanted to go back into their sacrificial system. Why is a saved person sitting in this room this morning, any of you, why do you want to go back into the world? Why do you want to get yourself involved in stuff that is unhealthy for you? Spiritually, I'm talking about. 
Why would we want to pollute ourselves again after we've received the gift of eternal life? Why would we want to pollute ourselves? Why would we want to take the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? And by the way, the Bible clearly tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, why is it that we think it's okay to go and commit these sins? And by the way, there's two types of sins, sins of omission and sins of commission. You either omit things that you ought to be doing and you take it out of your life, your Bible reading, your prayer, all those types of things, or you decide you're going to go commit sin, adultery, sexual immorality, alcohol, drugs. I'm going to go commit those things. I choose to do those things. And so what did Jesus die for? For both sets. Both the sins of omission and both the sins of commission. Amen. Thank God he did. Amen. And the thing of it is, is that we have a mediator now between us and God. The man Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us that as well in Timothy. That there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. There's the mediator. What is he there for? Well, there's a problem between man and God. And as a saved person, I shouldn't want any problems between me and God. I want fellowship between me and God. I don't want to get myself involved in stuff that's going to cause a division between me and my God. I want to be in fellowship with him. And by the way, if you're saved, you know when you're out of fellowship with God. You know when you're not walking with God. And listen, Jesus Christ died for that sin too that's keeping you from God and keeping you out of fellowship with God. What a great God we serve, amen? That's called grace. That's called mercy, isn't it? And he's provided both of those to every person sitting in this room this morning. As I go back to the scriptures and we look at this and we see the mediator here, he says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now listen, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know Christ is that arbitrator now to the better covenant. He's there. He's between us. And he's the one that is going to reconcile us to God. In Romans 5, 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's a problem between God and man. It's called sin. And by the way, it's not the things we do, it's the nature that we possess. It's what we are, not just things we do. The things we do, we do them because we're sinners, amen? And you're either a sinner saved by grace or you're a sinner on your way to hell because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so the Bible is very clear about this, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That's how it's happening. There's no other way for you to get that corrected. It has to come through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through, uh, well, I'll, I'll just be good enough, or I just won't do it no more. No, it also takes confession. And we confess our sins, and we agree with God that we're sinners, and we get those things right with God. And we make peace with God. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet hath he reconciled. The saved are reconciled, but here's the thing. We're still sinners saved by grace. So if we confess our sins now, it's plural. It's no longer singular, it's plural. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a powerful God, isn't it? Now, I want to challenge you with this. Consider the role of the mediator. The mediator assists and guides the parties toward their own resolution. The, medi the mediator does not decide the outcome, but helps the parties understand and focus on the important issues needed to reach the resolution. Jesus is not going to force anybody to get saved. He gave you what the resolution is as the mediator and said, you make the choice. God's word is pretty precise, isn't it? That's what I love about it. Very precise. He said, I give you the resolution. Here's the resolution. What do you choose to do about it? Now, you can be pretentious in your mind and say, well, I, I remember one time I prayed. I want to tell you, prayer isn't going to take your soul to heaven. <laughs> Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, amen? amen? Well, I've been baptized. Well, I want to tell you something. Baptism isn't going to take your soul to heaven. You must trust Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, not by baptism. There's no other way to get to heaven but through Jesus Christ. <laughs> And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The mediator, Christ, is our mediator. He's fair. He's unbiased. Do you know what's so wonderful about it? He doesn't care what the color of your skin is. He doesn't care what your past is. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't care what part of the country you come from. He doesn't even care what part of the globe you come from. He cares about you unbiased. Not your past. Not where you came from. And not even what you're doing right now. He cares about your soul. He's unbiased. Christ is our mediator, is fair and unbiased, and he remains impartial. He remains neutral to any man, woman, or child. He's there. He said, here's the resolution. He's neutral. He's not forcing you to do anything. He's just simply saying, here is the opportunity. Here is the resolution. Here's how you resolve your situation. And if you do not, that's your choice, not his. You choose to do that. Just like when you get saved. And now you're saved. And let's say you're baptized and you choose to sin. He said, let me tell you what the resolution is. Here's the resolution. I'm the impartial party here. Here's the resolution. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's impartial, isn't he? He's just there. He's providing the resolution. Now, as we think about this for just a moment, Christ is simply the conduit by which a human has the opportunity to be restored in their relationship to God. That's how it works. Last thing is this. The law could not be fulfilled uh, by man. That promise had to be fulfilled by God. And Jesus Christ fulfilled that promise. Once you look at this verse here, look at verse 7. It said, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And he made that new covenant with the house of Judah, with the house of Israel. Some of that stuff's still yet future. It hasn't all happened yet. But I want you to know this. It will be fulfilled because he faileth not in his promises. Amen. And what the Bible teaches us is that there's this new covenant, and the covenant Christ mediates is a better covenant since it's enacted by a better promise, and the new covenant is contrasted with that Mosaic law. And he says, let me show you the difference between the two. A once-for-all sacrifice, a repetitious sacrifice. You have to keep sacrificing or you trust the sacrifice that's been made. 
When you look to the scriptures, Jesus Christ shed his blood in the basis of the new covenant, and it pays for sins of all, even though not all trust him. Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. It's shed for many. It, it was shed for all of us, and here's the idea behind that. You either trust what he did on the cross at Calvary, or you do not trust it. Now let me share this thought with you. The new covenant in verses 2, 3 through 6, he says this, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Paul, again, speaking there, and he's saying, listen, do you know what's happening in our churches today? Do you know what a legalist is? Well, here's what people will tell you what a legalist is. Well, they tell you you have to wear dresses instead of pants. That's a legalist. That's a lie. That's not a legalist. That's a lie. Let me tell you what a legalist is. A legalist is this. One who says it's Jesus Christ plus something to get saved. That's a legalist. That's adding something to salvation. Now, if you add wearing dresses to salvation, that's being a legalist. But I want to tell you something this morning. Don't be a legalist. Don't add something to salvation. Let salvation stand on its own. Jesus Christ died for our what? Sin. He died for our sins. He takes care of all of that for us. And you either trust him or you don't. What's the better promises? Well, wait a minute. What are the better promises? Well, I, I don't have to go make all these sacrifices anymore. Amen? The sacrifice. Hey, what are the better promises? Well, the better promises is, is that now God's word's in my mind and in my heart. What's the better promises? Well, the Holy Spirit is with me all the time now. That's a better promise, isn't it? And you begin to look at these better promises and you're saying to yourself, this is a much better covenant than having to go and sacrifice. I had someone tell me they were a practicing Jew. I said, where do you make your sacrifices? Because it's illegal in our country to do that, by the way. <laughs> if you're a true practicing Jew, you have to continue to make sacrifices. But if you're a Jew who's trusted sacrifice... <laughs> There remaineth no more sacrifice for what? It's not there anymore. The new covenant's better. I'm going to give you a couple of verses and I'll finish with this. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And listen to this in verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. <laughs> Now, hold on. I want you to understand something, even as a saved person, but let, let's start with the unsaved first. You're unsaved. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know what's so wonderful about it? If I ask him to forgive me of my sin and to save my soul, to take my soul to heaven when I die, he takes that sin nature and he puts it behind his back and he can't see it no more. It's wonderful, isn't it? And he tells us he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know what's so wonderful about that passage? That's what makes me know the world is round too, by the way. Hey, man, it's not flat. The world is round. No matter what the millennials are telling you, the world is round. Amen. And here it is. He said, I separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. You know what's so wonderful about that? If I start going east, guess what I keep on doing? Keep going east. If I go west, I'm going to keep on going what? West. I want to tell you something. If I start going north, what's going to happen to me eventually? I'm going south at some point, right? So I want you to think about this for just a moment. God didn't say, I separate your sin as far as the north is from the south. He said, I separate your sin as far as the east is from the what? Yeah. Powerful God, isn't he? 
God's pretty smart, isn't he? The unsaved, if you're here this morning, he says, I'll take that nature, that sin nature that you have, I'll hide it behind my back. It's as if I, I can't see it no more. What I do see is the shed blood of my son. For the saved that are in the room this morning, I want you to consider this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins now, it's plural, isn't it? You know what the word confess means? I agree with God. So you're agreeing with God that there's sin in your life. If we confess our sins, now watch this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're in here and you're in broken fellowship with God this morning and you're a saved person and you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you, it's hard to have a conscience toward God or toward Jesus Christ if you're living in sin. It's as if you're placing Christ on the cross again and you're crucifying him. You're putting him to an open shame. Because as a saved individual, we should have a conscience toward God, shouldn't we? And if you are saved, and the Bible says the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God, that's why I share with you, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you need to check and see if you're saved. And the fact is, as he said, the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. But those that are saved understand clearly what I'm telling you right now, do you not? And what the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he'll cleanse us. What is the great thing about the pattern? Well, he told us he was coming. He showed those people that he was coming. We read the scriptures. We see that he was coming. What is the wonderful thing? Well, he's the mediator. He came down. He's the arbitrator. He's the one. And he resolved the conflict between God and man. But listen, he's not going to force you to make a decision. He's saying, listen, you need to make the choice. The resolution is before you. Saved individual in here this morning, listen, if you're living in some sort of sin, the resolution is in the scriptures. It's 1 John 1, 9. If you're out of fellowship with God, get back into fellowship with God. How do I do that? Not by going to the altar insincerely, but going to the altar sincerely and saying, God, I'm asking you to forgive me. This is in my life. And you don't do a 360. You do a 180, and you turn away from what's already dragging you down. And you go the other direction. Then he said, I got a new covenant. (laughs) That new covenant contains the written word in your mind and on your hearts. (laughs) And so the challenge for you is this today. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior? Do you know for sure you died today that heaven would be your home? It's not a hope so faith. Listen, Pastor Warren is going to tell you, I'm not standing here going, boy, I sure hope I make it to heaven when I die. And I'm biting my knuckles. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Jesus died for me. I came to that resolution October 12, 1995. I have no doubt in my mind where I'm going when I die. When I sin, I know I can go to my God sincerely and say, Lord, forgive me. And you know what the Bible says? He'll do just that. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 20, if our heart condemneth us, God is greater than our heart. There's probably Christians sitting in here right now that are allowing the past to hold them back. The Bible says if our heart condemneth us, God is greater than our heart. But if our heart condemneth us not, then, now listen to this, have we confidence toward God. 
You see, if you have confidence in yourself to get that sin taken care of, you're failing. <laughs> but if you have confidence in God, stop raising the lepers in your head and start asking Jesus Christ to forgive you and get that right sincerely, and he'll take care of it. So the challenge, are you saved? Well, if you're saved, we have the pattern, we have the mediator, we have the new covenant, don't we?